Test, 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 test. Am I on? Okay, a goober again. I didn't have the mic on. <laughs> Maybe I need to go home and get out of bed again and jumpstart my day again. I'm telling you. Okay, so uh, let's pray that everything else goes better than now. All right. So, uh, isn't it good that we can still laugh at each other in church? All right. Well, hey, do me a favor if you would open your Bibles in the New Testament with me to the Book of Romans. The book of Romans chapter 8, we are in a series, and I'll be finishing up the series actually next week, and uh, we've been in this series for a few weeks now entitled Hope That Heals, and I don't know about you, but how many of you know that if you watch the news long enough, or even just, you know, read the, the, the headlines on the Yahoo webpage, whatever it may be, um, it just seems like the world's out of control. All right, and, and how many of you know it's easy, the, the more we look at that and read that and just kind of allow it to sink in, it can, be it can be very discouraging. It can be very disheartening, and, and I, I think a lot of people over this past year have actually lost a lot of hope, okay? It's very easy to, to have hopelessness um, creep inside of our minds and our hearts and look at just everything that's going on in the world and just go, man, what in the world is happening? Well, I want you to know that today, as we look at continue in this series, Hope That Heals, that we have a hope. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in your life, the reality is, is this, there is a hope of knowing you have a future glory, okay, that that, that we're going to see this today, that there is a hope that heals because my hope is Jesus Christ. He's my living hope. And, and that, that one day I am going to have a glory revealed. And that's the hope that we have despite what goes on in our world. And so if you would, I hope that you're aware with me. Let me just read our, our text for today. And it says this, starting in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes and he says this, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation will be set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Father, we thank you for your word, and we just pray now, Lord God, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to hear, to see, and to know the truth. And that, Lord, we can walk away today knowing that in, despite what happens in our world, we still have hope. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's begin with this first thing, and and it's this, about hope, about hope of this glory. And it's this, number one, a future glory gives me the right perspective about suffering. 
A future glory gives me the right perspective about suffering. So there in verse 18, Paul begins, he says, for I consider. That means to view, to perceive. So Paul is is looking at his life. He's looking at what's going on in his life. And he's like, I consider this. This is what I know. This is what, how I view this thing. Here, here's how I perceive. He's getting a different perspective on his life. And what is he getting a, a different perspective about? He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is revealed to us. So he is comparing the suffering of my life to the glory that will be revealed. And he's comparing these. All right. Now, the glory that he's talking about is the, the future glory, the eternal glory that we will experience with Christ. Okay? It, it, it's the, the splendor of Christ and the splendor of God that you're going to r- realize and see one day. It is the majestic, awesomeness, overwhelming presence of Christ. Okay? He, he's like, this glory is going to be revealed to you one day. Now, here's the thing. As you read Scripture, the the truth is the writers of Scripture could not truly give us a a, a real image and a real picture for us to be able to go, oh, yeah, I see that. Yeah, I know what heaven's going to be like. We don't have a clue of what this glory is going to be like. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So on your best day, you haven't seen anything. On your best day, you haven't heard the the, the greatest sound. On your best day, your mind cannot even comprehend, come up with, think about, create what this glory is going to be like. That's why in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1, the prophet Ezekiel actually gets a glimpse of the glory of God. It's like the heavens are opened up, and he gets to see this thing. And he begins to describe what the glory of God is like. And the problem is, he can't do it. 18 or 19 times, he uses the word like or likeness. And what he does is he's like... Here's what I see. I see this thing, and it's like, and he compares it to something on earth. That's how he can only do it, because there's no words for him to describe it. He's like, okay, I, I, I see it, but my mind can't comprehend it. I see it, but I have no words, so I got to compare it to a likeness that I know. You see, you and I do not understand, and we do not grasp the glory that is prepared for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, in this world, you're going to suffer. Y'all get that, right? Anybody been through suffering in life? You're going to suffer. You're going to have pain and trials. You're going through the storms. You're going to have tragedy strike your life. But Paul is saying, here's what you need to perceive. Here's what you need to understand. Here's what I consider that my suffering in this present time 
doesn't compare. It's kind of like this. I got a communion cup here. And imagine this is your life, okay? And this is all of the suffering of your life poured into that cup. Now, for a lot of us, you know, the suffering in our life are like, it's, it's so much, okay? If you were truly thirsty, this would, this would quench your, you know, it would quench your thirst for a, a little bit. And that would can be considered a lot of water if you're truly thirsty. But now, if you were to take this cup of water and you were to take all the water in the world, every ocean, every sea, every river, every creek, every lake, take all the water in the world and you were to be able to, to somehow contain it in something, um, does this, would it compare to that? Not even close. This doesn't even, if you were to fill a bathtub up with water, this does not even compare. That's what Paul's saying. That if you can imagine your life and all the suffering that has been poured into your life like that cup, compared to the eternal glory, it's off the chart. You see, Paul even wrote that again to the church in Corinthian, to the in, in Corinth, to the Corinthian church. And he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, Paul is just, he, he, he's saying, man, the suffering you go through, it doesn't compare. Now, we need to understand, Paul was just an average dude, okay? Now, for us as Christians today, we read the Bible and we think Paul was super Christian. He was like Superman of God. And, and, and no, he wasn't. He was just a man called by God to preach the gospel who was anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's it. But yet Paul understood suffering. Paul isn't writing this stuff. He didn't write this stuff because, well, he's the preacher. And that's what the preacher's supposed to say. You know? I mean, a lot of people, and I've had people say this to me, people think pastors don't understand suffering. That we're somehow excluded from it. Like we've got this special like, like God protection over us. And, and so when we preach about suffering, some of you will sit out there and go, dude, you don't understand. You know, I remember when I talked to, many years ago, I preached the message on forgiveness and, and forgiving people who have really hurt you. And I remember, and, and, I, and in that message, I preached about how growing up I was physically abused, sexually abused by a lot of different people. And I had a woman in, 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 this, in this chair just come up to me afterwards and go, when you started talking about preaching, I, I shut you off, or preaching about forgiveness, she goes, I shut you off because I figured you're a pastor. You don't know what it means to be um, wounded so bad to forgive. She goes, until you said what happened to you. She goes, and then I believed you. You see, people think because you're a preacher, you're exempt. I think sometimes we can read about Paul and go, Paul didn't really understand what suffering means. If he had my suffering, 
He would understand. Listen, we need to understand that Paul was a normal man and he went through really hard things. In fact, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, here's some of the things that Paul endured in his life. He was beaten several times. He was whipped five times flogging with at least 40 lashes. He was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned and dragged out of a city and left for dead. He was shipwrecked twice and he was adrift at the sea for a day and a half. He was imprisoned multiple times. He would go times without sleep because he had nowhere to sleep and he often went, went, went without food. That sounds like he's tiptoeing through the tulips. That sounds like life is really just grand for you, Paul. You really don't understand what it means to have a financial burden, Paul, because if you understood my financial burden, you'd understand. No, Paul knew suffering. And he is writing from his experience, and he's trying to encourage the church. Listen, when you're going through suffering in this present time, when you're going through it, you've got to change your perspective. And you've got to understand that the things you're going through are temporary and they are transient. They're not forever. But the glory that will be revealed to you when your body beats its last heartbeat, when you take your last breath, or when Jesus calls you out of here by the rapture, you're going to walk into the presence of the glory of God that right now we can't begin to fathom. But I got to take and believe what God's word says. And if God's word tells me it doesn't compare, I need to, to chillax for a little bit and go, man, this is hard. Now, Paul writing this stuff isn't some pie in the sky hope. He, he's not saying deny your circumstances. He's not saying, nah, just stick your head in the sand and pretend the, the, the hurt's not there. That's not what that's saying, Okay. Understanding and have a different perspective about the glory to come doesn't downplay the pain. It doesn't downplay the fact that, that you've been hurt and wounded. You're going through a health crisis. You're going through a financial crisis. You're going through relationship, whatever it is. You're going through it, and the storm and the trial is heavy. But what Paul is trying to encourage us is to go, you know what? You can't fix your eyes on that. Understand that there is a glory to come. And the pain that you're feeling now, it doesn't compare. The suffering you're going through now is coming to an end. The suffering that you're going through now is transient. And you're going to come into a glory that will blow you away. So maybe that's where you're at today. You have been, you know, you've gone through it. Maybe you've had a spouse just walk out on you. I'm done, divorced. Maybe you've lost a job and your finances have just bottomed out. Maybe you've had the doctor say it is incurable and you've lost somebody. There could be a numerous amount of things coming into your life. But the question is, is can you believe God's word and go, you know what? This doesn't compare. The weight of the glory that is going to be revealed is so much more. And God, I'm going to trust you. And so that's the first perspective you need to have is about understanding that your suffering doesn't compare to the glory that will be revealed. Here's the second thing. A future glory gives me the right perspective about this earth. 
A future glory gives me the right perspective about this earth. In verse 19, Paul writes, he says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, what does he mean by the revealing of the sons of God? What he's talking about there, and I'm going to get into this into my next point, is he's talking about that you and I are going to be revealed differently. Okay? Um, How you're living now in, in this human suit isn't the real thing. You're going to be, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, that one day as a believer in Christ, you're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed in a twinkling of an eye. Poof! Changed. Okay? And you're going to be revealed differently as a child of God. And I'm going to get into that here in just a bit. But that's what Paul's referring, but, but, but that's what's it's talking. It's like um, one translation that I read says it's like creation is standing on its tiptoes watching to see the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is looking at this. It's waiting. But he goes on. In verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility. The NIV says frustration. It was subjected to futility or frustration, not willingly, but because of him who who subjected it. Now, Now, what is he referring to here? Here he's talking about when Adam and Eve sinned. In the book of Genesis, when God told Adam and Eve, do not eat of the tree of knowledge, because when you do, you will surely die. And what God was saying is like, if you disobey me and you eat of that tree, in that moment, sin will come into this world. Will come into your life, is going to come into creation. And when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and they ate of the tree, sin, like, the, like, like, like a water bursting forth from a broken dam, sin burst forth into the world. It burst forth into mankind. It burst forth into all of the creation. And when it says that it was subjected, not willingly, the earth did not. It wasn't like, yeah, sign me up. I want to be cursed. It was subjected because of what Adam and Eve did. And God cursed everything. And so what this is describing is because of Adam and Eve's sin and humanity's sin, we live in a cursed earth. And what that means is this, because of sin, you know, you'll hear people say, well, if God is loving, why does he, why does he not stop the, 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 all the tragedy in the world? It's not because God can't stop it. It's because of what he said. He said, I'm telling you, if you disobey me, death is coming. And, and once we as humans disobeyed God, sin was, it's, it's kind of like a train that is on the track running at 70 miles an hour and there's no one in the engine. That train's not stopping. It's, it's headed and it's, it's going. Guess what? When sin started to go, it was on a path and it's not stopping. And it brings destruction and decay and it brings pain and suffering, sickness and disease and death. And that is what has been going on from the creation of time all the way to now. And that's why when we look at, you read the headlines, you watch the news, you see the hate of people, you see the death of people, you see the the sickness and disease, pain and suffering, you see all of this, it's all because of one thing, sin. And sin wreaks havoc. And that's all it does. And so 
Adam and Eve's sin subjected the creation, the universe and the world to all of it. And Paul goes on in verse 21, he says, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I'm going to come back to that in a second. He says, but in verse 22, he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth. Do you notice the descriptions, like in verse 21, it says that creation is going to be set free from the bondage to corruption. Here in verse 22, it says it's been groaning together with pains like childbirth, okay? See, because of sin, creation is, is sick, all right? It is sick with a cancer. It is sick with a disease, and it is groaning because of what's going on. And let me ask you, um, how many of you are um, just real babies when you're sick? Come on. I am. Thank you, Tony. God bless you, brother. You know. <laughs> JR's like, come on, Amanda, get your arm up. I know you are. Some of you, I know when I'm sick, I love, I love kind of milking it a little bit. And, and I'm like, oh, man, I just don't feel good. Do you ever just groan when you're sick? You're like, oh, my stomach, I just feel like I'm going to throw up. Oh, and you, you just milk it, all right? That's what the earth is doing. It is groaning because it's sick. It's groaning because it's cursed. But Paul tells us there, and again in verse 21, he says, even though it's in bondage to corruption, one day it's going to be set free. The earth and, and, and the sin and the sickness of, of the creation is going to be set free one day. Now, when is that going to take place and what does that mean it's going to be set free? When Paul is talking about that the creation is going to be set free, this is him referring to the fact that one day God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation chapter 21, the apostle John, who has a vision of heaven, says in, in Revelation chapter 1, he says, and God creates a new heaven and a new earth for the first earth has passed away. 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us that the present earth and heavens or the heavenly bodies are being stored up for fire. God's destroying this thing, okay? There's going to come a time, and, and I, I predict it will probably be at the final judgment time. But this earth, as we know it, is gone. And God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. In the book of Isaiah Chapter 65, verse 17, it says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Now, I like that because there are some people who, who ask, Hey, do you think when we're in heaven, we're going to remember things about the earth? You know, will we remember loved ones who may not be in heaven? No, because the former things, what we know now, are what? Forgotten. Done. Why? Because they've been destroyed. They've been, we won't remember. God's doing a new thing. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Second Peter chapter three, verse 13 says, but according to his promise, I love that his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see this new heaven and new earth 
that is going to be created, the idea that this earth and, and, and the heavens are going to be destroyed, there's one big glaring truth, and it's this. This world is not your home. But yet how many Christians live thinking this is my home? It's not. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that you are nothing more than an alien. As a believer in Christ, you are an alien. You are here for a moment and you're gone, all right? Your life on this earth is nothing but a breath. It is nothing more than a, a wave crashing into the ocean. That's your life upon this earth. This earth is not your home. But yet how many of us treat it like it is? That's why 1 John tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world. And what that means is don't get too comfortable here. Don't stake, you know, how many of you go on vacation, you know, you go a week away and you go stay in a hotel. Um, how many of you, when you go on vacation, register your kids for school? How many of you are like, well, I think I want to, I'm going to go apply for a job. Do you ever buy um, couches and chairs and new refrigerator when you go on vacation? How many of you redecorate the, the hotel room? You're laughing at me because you're like, Jim, that's ridiculous. You're on vacation. Exactly. You're on vacation. You're there for five days. You're staying in a hotel and you're not buying a new refrigerator because you're like, I'm not packing this in my trunk to take home. Vacation is not home. It is a place where you're there temporarily. You enjoy it. But guess where you're going ultimately? Back home. So guess what? We are on this world, in this earth for a season of time. And guess what? The Bible tells us that God gives us all things for our enjoyment. We can enjoy living on this world. We can enjoy the things that God gives us. We can have fun here. But the idea is, is that we don't make this our home. We don't get comfortable here. We don't live like this is my home. We live with an understanding that, hey, everything that I have is going to be gone. You see, that's why the Bible, like, I think for so many of us, our money is the biggest thing. And we think, well, I need to hold on to it. And, and, and you realize you're not going to have it. That's why, you see, you, you hear people who, when they die, um, they, they'll give like, you know, several hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars to the church. My question is, is, well, what were you doing with that money while you were alive? Because when you're dead and you give it away, mm, a little bit late. You see, that's why we take advantage of what we have now and use it to the best of our ability for the glory of God. Because one day we're going to be in the glory of God. This world's not your own, folks. You're just a, you're just a stranger here. God is creating a new heaven and a new earth. Now, here's the thing. Here's the way um, Revelation chapter 22 describes this. It describes this new heaven and new earth like this. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and, at, and, and night will be no more. There will be no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. But notice the first line there. Oh, go back to the previous page. 
Cody, if you would. Maybe it won't go. Okay, anyway. But it says that there will no longer be anything accursed. There it is. No longer anything accursed. Like I said, right now, this earth reflects the curse. Okay? Everything you see bad in the world is because of the curse. When God creates the new heaven and the new earth, guess what there won't be? A curse. Now, here's the thing. Again, we can't fathom that. Okay? All we know is a creation that is cursed. Now, think about this for a moment. How many of you think, even though all the bad stuff that's going on, this world is pretty cool? I mean, do you, have you ever gone to the, to, to, the, to the Rockies? Have you ever flown in an airplane over just awesome things? Have you ever been to Hawaii? Have you ever been somewhere, you, you're like your first time at the ocean, and you're just like, holy cow. This world is still very awe-inspiring. There are some things in this world where you go to travel to that it just takes your breath away. But it's cursed. It, it, it's still reflecting the curse. So I sit and go, okay, if this world and, and the heavens, you know, and I even just think about the universe, you know, we as men, as humans, we really boast our our accomplishments and we've made it to the moon okay and but the universe is so vast so you know so if you could kind of think of it like this um if we were to take a trip if you were to compare us to the moon to the universe would be like me saying i'm going to take a trip to california and that's how far i've gotten okay the universe and everything in it is so overwhelmingly inspiring and yet it's cursed. So try to fathom to the best of your human ability what will an uncursed earth and heavens be like. You can't do it. You'll be like Ezekiel. I can kind of picture, but it's going to be like this. And you'll compare something on the earth to the, the new heaven and the new earth is going to be amazing. And guess what? If you know Christ, you're there. You're going to be entering into that glory. So, a future glory gives me a right perspective about suffering, gives me the right perspective about the earth. Here's the third thing. A future glory gives me a right perspective about myself. It gives me a right perspective about myself. Look at verse 23. It says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What he means when he's talking about the first fruits of the Spirit is that when you come to know Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You've been given the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is like a down payment for you, okay? It, it's your deposit on eternity. It, it's, your, it's your earnest money, if you want to say it that way. So, when, so, so because you have the Holy Spirit, you have the promise of this future glory. And so he goes on, so you have this, this first fruit. He goes on and he goes, but we groan inwardly. Now, there's three things this, this verse is going to show us about ourselves. And here's the first one. We groan inwardly. Guess what? Just like creation reflects the, the, the curse, guess what your body is doing? It reflects the curse. Your body is also cursed. Okay? You, you, you get sick. The moment you are born, guess what you are on the path to? Death. 
You're on the path to sickness. You're on the path to pain, okay? I mean, my body, this past week, something's been going on with my back. I've had more back pain in this back this past week than I ever did in the entire decade of my 20s. Why? Because you're, my body's cursed. It's growing older. It, it, it's getting wrinkly. It, it's getting more pain in it. That's what happens. Sickness and disease. I can't stop it. Okay? It, that's what a cursed body does. And guess what? You're groaning. So those of you who aren't sick, you're still sick. So if you want to go home and groan, groan. Just drive your spouse crazy. Just go, oh, I'm so cursed. Oh, my body. You know, soak it up, man. But that's where you are. your body's groaning just like the creation is. And it's on a path to one place to death because that's the curse and we all groan we're all there but he goes on and he says so we wait eagerly or, um, so we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons we wait eagerly as adoption as sons meaning the adoption as, as God's child so understand that when you come to know Christ as your savior you are born into his family, born again. John 3, 3, you're born again. And so you are born and you, are, you become part of God's family. You become his child. As we sang this morning, I am a child of God. All right, so as you are a child of God, the Bible says you are adopted. Now, here's the thing. When Paul says that we wait eagerly for the adoption of his sons, understand that your adoption as God's child isn't completely fulfilled yet. It's kind of like a family. If they were to adopt a child from China and they go through the lawyers, they sign all the paperwork, they pay the money, they do everything that's done, and the lawyer says, congratulations, you've adopted a child. But there's a problem, isn't there? Where's the child? In China. That child isn't completely, fully adopted yet until when? That child comes home. When that child finally comes home and is at home with her parents or his or her parents, the adoption is completely 100% fulfilled. So guess what? Right now on this side of heaven, you are by position a child of God. You have been adopted. But guess what? You're still away from your heavenly father, aren't you? You see, here's what Revelation chapter 21 tells us. <clears throat> about the new heaven and the new earth. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have, there it is, passed away. Behold, I'm making all things new. You see, when you die, if you were to die now, you go to heaven and you are reunited with God. But there's going to come that time where we all are on this new heaven and this new earth. And the Bible tells us in Revelation that the city of God is coming out of heaven and it's going to be on this new heaven, on this new earth. That God himself now will dwell with his people and his people will dwell with him. There are no more separation. We are with our heavenly father. The adoption's coming. The full adoption is going to be complete when you are in his presence. And then lastly, he goes on. He says, so we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
What he's referring to there, just like when he talked about the, the earth being set free from the corruption, that God's going to destroy the old earth and create a new one. Um, when he's talking about the redemption of your body, he's talking about the fact that one day your body is going to be glorified. Okay? That this tent that we dwell off is going to be put off, and then this, this tent's going to be resurrected, glorified. All right? So here's what we do know. In, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, it says that Christ will transform this body to be like his glorious body. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that our bodies are going to be raised imperishable. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe this is really how the whole thing is going to take place. In 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it talks about the rapture or the catching up of the church. Jesus is going to descend. When we talk about the second coming of Christ, he's going to descend from heaven partially. And it says that he's with a shout and a trumpet blast. He's calling his church home. And so here's how it's going to work. All who have died in Christ, their bodies are going to resurrect from the grave. And their body and their spirit are going to come back together. We, if we are still alive at the rapture, the Bible says we'll be caught up with them. So you, in your present body, is going to be caught up, but that body, in an instant, in a flash, boom, is going to be transformed. And this mortal body becomes immortal. This perishable body becomes imperishable. And you will become and have a glorified body like Christ. And that means, so when you and I, and we have this imperishable body, this glorified body for the new heaven and for the new earth, where we will dwell with God. Now, again, I don't know exactly what that means. I do know that this imperishable body, this glorified body, will no longer suffer sickness or pain or death. But I kind of go back and go, well, what will I look like? Handsome. Brother, you get an extra star today. I love that. How many of you have a little bit of poundage around the waistline? Now, I was talking to Adam Sini last night, and I said this. I go, I don't think we will have any body fat because body fat is considered what? Unhealthy. Because it, 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 it creeps around your organs and stuff. So I'm like, I'll have my six-pack abs again. I'll be thin again. That's going to be so awesome. Okay? I won't jump up and down and things will continue to jiggle when I stop. I'm really hoping that's what a glorified body will be like. But I also got to ask, we do know that when Jesus resurrected from the grave in his glorified body, that he was able to pass through walls with locked doors. So I'm like, if I'm going to be like that, won't that be awesome? Walk right through. I mean, are we going to be able to fly? Are we, are, I mean, are we going to be like Scotty, beam me up? Are we, are we going to be able to like go to like other planets? Because if God's going to create new, new heaven and an earth, I mean, just play with that for a little bit. What will that be like to have a glorified body that you're no longer sick, no longer diseased, no longer suffering? no longer in pain, no longer crying, because why? The former things have passed away, and God is creating all things new. Then lastly, a future glory gives me the right perspective about hoping patiently. 
a future glory gives me the right perspective about hoping patiently. Look at verse 24. It says, for in this hope, what hope? The hope of the glory that's coming. The hope that the world is going to be made new. The hope that your bodies are going to be made new. In this hope, we are saved. The hope of Christ. He says, now hope is, now hope that is seen is no hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You guys understand that, that everything about Christ and eternity and everything that we've talked about hinges on one word, faith. We haven't seen it. We, we have to trust that what we read in the word of God is truth, it's right, and that every day that my hope is anchored on that truth to go, you know what? I know the Bible's very right when it says that we're all going to die, that there is sickness and disease, and I see it. I, I mean, you can't, you can't not deny that. So if that's right, I got to believe that one day he's going to resurrect me and I'm going to be with him. And, but until then, I don't see it, but I wait for it patiently. By faith, I trust it. You know, Paul writes, or not Paul, but uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and this is what we all need to do. It says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Man, how many of us have set our hopes on so many things this past year? Right now, how many of us are setting our hopes on a vaccine? We set our hope on a government. We set our hope on a man. We set our hope on, you know, our money. We set our hope on our position at work. We set our hope on so many things. And how many of you know that if we're setting our hope on earthly, worldly things, that hope is going to diminish? And that's when we, if we're setting our hope on things that have no hope in them, when we look at the world, that's when we feel hopeless. And that's why I have to set my hope fully on who God is. I have to set my hope fully on what his word says. I have to set my hope fully on Jesus Christ, that I believe he died for me, that he, he paid the penalty for my sin, and that if I confess him as Lord and Savior, I know that I am saved. If I know that I am saved through Christ, I set my hope fully knowing that one day this life is coming to an end and that I will step into a glory that I cannot even begin to imagine right now. And so when I set my hope fully on the Lord and the glory that will be revealed through him to me, I'm able to go back to point number one. I can look at my present suffering and I can look at it and it doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean it's not happening. It doesn't mean it's going away. But I can set my hope on Christ and I can have the perspective about my suffering and realize it doesn't compare. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you're going through it. You're suffering right now. And your faith is wavering. I'm telling you, I, we have had people in this church go through it. And I've had people look at me face to face and say, if that's the way God is, forget it. And they have walked out of this church and walked away from God. Listen to me. Your hope is coming. Glory is coming. 
Can you hang on? Can you set your hope on Christ and not give up, not quit? I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying the pain isn't real. But can you hang on? Can you hold on? Because whether it's 50, 60, 70 more years, listen, it is that compared to the eternal glory that will be revealed to us. Amen? Let's all stand and close. If you would just bow your heads with me let me just pray over you you know maybe you're here this morning and you are suffering maybe it's financial maybe it's health your marriage it, it, it could be a child not living for Christ it could be a number of things that you're going through I want to pray that you would have that faith to just trust you would set your hope on Christ alone he's your living hope today Nothing else. Get your eyes off the world. Get your eyes off the horizontal. And as Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Your reward is coming. Glory is coming. Your inheritance is coming. All you need to do is hang on in the interim. And so, Father, I pray for everyone in here. Lord, you know every heart. You know every mind. You know every... You know every pain in every life. Father, you know what every person is going through. You know what every family is going through right now. And Lord, I sit and pray. I wonder if there's people in here struggling in their faith right now. Struggling to hold on. Struggling to set their hope fully on the grace that will be given them when Jesus Christ is revealed. Lord God, I pray that this message is a beacon of hope for them a light in the darkness. I pray that your word has spoken truth to them and that, Lord, it has been a seed planted in a soil that perhaps has grown hard, a little stony. And Lord, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that that seed can find a crack and it can find that soil. And I pray, God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of your word, that that seed that was sown today will take root and it, that, God, your word would act like a hammer today and break any rock today, a stony heart, and break it into pieces and cause it to become flesh again. And I pray, God, that people can walk out of here despite what is happening in our world. Lord, all of the, the hatred and the anger, the sickness, the disease, destruction, God, just the world, it, it is groaning. Lord, all the pain in their own life, help them to know they are groaning. But God, help them to say, you know what, this I know. Jesus is my living hope, and in him I put my trust. So, Father, we just glorify you and praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.